Welcome back to episode number 242 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are covering 10 videos to demonstrate and educate about dust explosion hazards. This might sound a bit funny. Why are we talking about videos on audio podcast? Uh, because these are the videos that we keep seeing come time and time again when people ask us through the help desk for examples to educate their clients, to educate their peers, their team, their employers, both combustible dust hazards. We sort of see this consecutive timeline that keeps building up of the videos that we continue to send them. And also the videos that we're using to educate when, when I'm doing presentations and trying to get the point across about what dust explosion looks like to people. So in this episode, we're going to cover the first 10 videos. I don't know how many videos we'll be doing part two, but in this part one, we have 10 videos. The point is to kind of walk through the education idea of using these videos to explain to folks about combustible dust hazards, starting at a very small scale and moving to what it means at a site-wide scale. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. And we're talking specifically about videos of dust explosions themselves. So sort of laboratory mock-ups, examples, up to incidents that happen and showing large-scale explosions. That's what we're going to cover in this episode. In the next week's podcast episode, we're going to talk more about education videos that are fully designed to chemical safety board videos or others. Uh, we'll pull up some of those videos as well and talk about them next week. So this is sort of for the, you know, if you want something to include in your presentation to show to your peers, to show to your boss about demonstrating combustible hazards, 10 videos we're going to talk about in this episode, we'll cover that. Next week, if you have a room of people and you want them to sit down for half an hour and watch an educational feature documentary on dust explosions, we'll talk about what's available for those type of videos from Chemical Safety Board and other groups as well in next week's podcast episode. In the show notes for this episode, we will include all of the links to the videos that I mentioned. Most of the time, we're going to be including YouTube links. If these videos go missing, if the links are dead, you can try emailing me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. We'll see if our team can track it down there. Alternatively, we do have over 100 of these videos saved in the Dust Safety Academy. When I mean saved, I mean links to the YouTube videos. We're not taking the videos and stealing them and putting them up there. We are including links to those YouTube videos. So the most recent links that we can find for those videos, we have those in the Dust Safety Academy. Uh, you can find that at dustsafetyacademy.com. It's free to join. There's over 100 videos in there now, over 100 resource documents loaded in that resource section. So we can start to capture and build up a library of resources that people that are in combustible dust can use to educate others about the hazards that we're talking about here. So before getting the videos, I kind of want to talk about my strategy with using these videos. If you see me give a presentation that I am setting up with these sort of videos, I usually walk through a small scale video, an intermediate scale or device scale, and up to a large scale explosion. So people can get a feeling for what a small, and we'll say quote unquote small, but small in terms of you know a deflagration event looks like, what it looks like when a whole piece of equipment explodes, and what it looks like when a whole facility has an explosion. And there's a couple of reasons here. There's really three things that come to mind in these videos I'm going to talk about. One is the difference between a fire, a flash fire, and an explosion hazard. Two is the fact that it's not just the blockbuster large-scale explosions that destroy, destroy a tire site that we're worried about here that we need to be protecting against. And three is that many materials can and do manifest as combustible dust in industrial settings. It's not just coal. It's not just food. It's not just wood. It's all of the above, including plastics, pharmaceuticals, metals, and, and many, many more. So I try to use a variety of different materials in the videos that I show, and I have a variety of materials in these videos as well. I want to circle back to this thought of it's not just a large-scale explosion, because there is a school of thought out there, and you may have heard this yourselves, where we're protecting against the big one, the 
large-scale secondary tertiary deflagration that destroys entire building. And the thought process there is, in the school of thought, that the best way to protect from dust explosions is to use, say, dust collection and housekeeping, keep the fugitive dust levels down, and then we don't have to care about the other aspects. If we just do that, we're doing everything that we need to do to protect from dust explosions. And this is actually perceptions even made worse because a lot of sites will have a, a quote-unquote small deflagration event, you know, maybe quite frequently. And because they don't lead to anyone getting hurt, it actually causes a false sense of security around these smaller dust explosions happening. They kind of get taken for granted until somebody really does get hurt severely or you have a larger explosion. Um, it turns out that most of the deflagrations that happen out there in industry don't cause any loss. I don't know. That might be a secret. I can't really tell. But a lot of the explosives that happen don't cause massive loss of life. Many, many, many do. One of the biggest problems we have to fight against is that complacency sets in, that sense of vulnerability sets in experiencing a fire, experiencing a flash fire, experiencing a deflagration that doesn't cause loss, causes this normalization of the potential risks involved. And that's when you can start to hear these things like, oh, we're just trying to protect against the big one. And maybe that it's true that in many cases, I mean, we have to protect from the large-scale explosions and keep fugitive dust levels down. That is true. But it's actually true that the large majority of life-altering injuries, people being sent to burn units, shutdown of production, loss of production value, loss of sites, are from these smaller deflagrations. Every third, fourth, fifth one that causes these types of loss, when we've looked at it and go, okay, one didn't cause any loss, two didn't cause any loss, three didn't cause any loss, we're not worried about protecting against these deflagrations from occurring anymore. And then you have that one that happens in the vicinity of a worker, vicinity of an employee, in a critical piece of the facility, and that's when you have a larger loss event occur. So these smaller explosions don't get the big U.S. Chemical Safety Board videos that are half an hour documentaries about them, but they're still really important. And that's why NFPA 652 and soon to be NFPA 660 doesn't stop at just saying, hey, protect fugitive dust. That's because the consultants, the equipment providers, the industry specialists there have seen, interacted firsthand with sites, companies, and workers impacted by these we'll say, quote-unquote, small deflagrations, these open-air flash fires, these explosions inside smaller than eight cubic foot vessels that actually do cause a substantial amount of loss in industry. could be anything from a mom-and-pop site that has a dust collector, a fire and dust collector, and the sun goes out to investigate, opens the door, and gets a blowback in his face, causes permanent scarring and burns across his face, um, which is really dangerous in its own right. There's infection. There's all kinds of issues that come up with that, and it's really bad. we got to protect against that. So that's the whole point of this is that I like taking people through the scales to show that it's a dangerous hazard at all scales. It's not just fugitive dust. We do need to tackle that. But there's also, that's why we're protecting individual pieces of equipment. And that's why we're protecting people with flash fire hazards in every compartment and room within a site. Those are the three things that I try to cover in these videos, going from small scale to large scale. So we can illustrate the difference between fire, flash fire, and explosion hazards. Illustrate that we need to consider both the small and the large scale deflagration events. And that almost all materials that we're going to be looking at in an industrial setting are going to have the possibility of creating combustible dust. There are some very small set of materials that do not have the chance to create combustible dust. They are by far the minority in industrial processing. So one last note before we get into the videos is to be really, 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 really respectful. Every video is generally going to have another human being in it. And in the case of where you had a deflagration event that caused loss, they lost something. They could have lost a friend, a peer, a loved one could have been injured themselves. And we need to be really cognizant when we're using these videos as educational tools. I've been involved in, thankfully I was the one giving the presentation, but I've been in presentations where afterwards, somebody in the audience has come up to me and said, hey, I was 
in that company that was just talked about in that site. And you know what? I was pretty mortified to be kind of put up there and discussed about like we were caused our own loss. We were the issue. Human error was the problem. Name, shame, blame, all that sort of stuff. And we just need to be super respectful when we're using these videos that we are doing so in a way that is kind and also in a way that really puts ourselves in an empathetic way in the shoes of the people that are involved to be thinking about that. So that's kind of the last note I want to leave on here is just be respectful when you're using these videos because there's other people that are involved in them. And most of the time, the only difference between the site that had the explosion and the site that didn't have the explosion is luck. So we got to be really cognizant of that. So without further ado, then we'll get into some of the videos here. I feel like that was a longer intro than was needed to talk about 10 videos. Let's get into it. So step one is starting at the small scale. And I like to do this with something that kind of catches people off guard. There's usually two videos I show at the very smallest scale. Um, one is the uh, called the, the powdered icing sugar on a birthday cake video. This is called uh, Surprise Exploding Birthday Cake. It's hosted on the Science Channel. The Science, yeah, it's called the Science Channel YouTube channel. It opens up with a teenager sitting over a chair over top of his birthday cake. And they bring out the cake. They set it in front of him. Everybody's singing happy birthday. He goes to blow out the candles and about a two-foot fireball shoots up in his face. Luckily, no one was hurt or he was not hurt, but it's quite shocking, especially contrasting to the, the happiness of the uh, happy birthday song going on beforehand. And it's a really good way to open up the discussion about dust explosions. It also follows up from the video by the Science Channel. There's some lovely British scientists explaining how dust explosion works, the impact of surface area of the powdered sugar molecules being layered on the cake and then blown off and that have to be the right concentration for a flame to envelop one sugar particle and that ignite the next sugar particles that have to be close enough together. It's a pretty nice video to kind of start off these discussions about dust explosions with. And luckily nobody was hurt, so it's good that way as well. Alternatively, there's a second video that you hear quite a bit, use here quite a bit at this small scale, and that's of a Danish man who is engulfed in a cinnamon dust deflagration. So this was published by The Sun UK edition. I think this is from some bizarre, we'll call it bizarre, it's probably normal there, but it sounds bizarre to me. Um, that's only because I don't live there. Tradition where a single person, if you're single beyond the age 25 in Denmark, you have spices dumped on your head. So they put water on you and then dump spices. And I think they traditionally use cinnamon for this. Um, I think it's something about you being doomed to be a spice salesman for the rest of your life because you can't find a, a spouse or something along those lines. In this video, they showed the man standing there and his friends dump water on his head. And they start dumping these little bags of cinnamon on him. And so they dump one bag, two bags, starts to cover his, his face and his body. And then it's sort of unclear where the ignition happens, but there's a pretty loud pop from one of the bags. Suddenly the, the guy's just engulfed in flames. It's quite scary looking. The end of the video ends pretty abruptly with him on the ground. From my understanding, and again, this is many years ago we looked into it, I don't think he suffered severe injury. I think he suffered some burns to his thighs. But because he had the water dumped on him, um, there's limited actually burns to his skin from this. But it's quite scary. So we have the sort of, you know, the surprise birthday cake where nobody's injured, small deflagration. And we have a, a larger, more scary deflagration with the cinnamon dust, both to get the kind of same point across though, that at a very small scale, very small amounts of powdered materials, be it powdered sugar or cinnamon, can cause a deflagration that is quite dangerous, quite scary when it happens. I usually close out these sessions with a laboratory video. This is one I, we asked for permission to share from Dr. Henry Brower at Redeemer University. The video was shot, I think, in 2012 in Ontario um, at Redeemer University, called Dust Explosion Using Cornstarch. And it shows Dr. Brower funneling or pouring some, spooning some cornstarch into a funnel 
and blowing the funnel over an open candle. And you see this big two foot, three foot fireball shoot out of the, out of the end of the funnel there. And it's really interesting. He talks about doing this in the dark and surprising people with it. It's a really good one. You can actually use it on site with most of the material. If you go to the dust collector and pull the material out, you have a funnel handy. You can, you can do this sort of demo to demonstrate what can happen with the site's own material. Big disclaimer here. I'm not telling you to do this. If you did do it, wear safety glasses, tie your hair back, have fire resistant coat on, stand back. There's a bunch of other disclaimers, but I'm not telling you to do this. Full disclaimer, do not do this at home. Do not do this on site. If you were to do it, make sure there's not any flammable materials around. Don't do it in a site that has a bunch of combustible dust up high. You don't want to initiate a secondary dust explosion when you're making this demo happen. It's probably best to do it outside. I don't even know all the best practices, so I'm, I'm just naming a couple here. But at the end of the day, I'm saying we're not responsible if something happens when you do this demo. I do like showing that video of Dr. Brower doing it in a controlled setting at the university just to show how easy it is to actually have a dust deflagration occur. And I've heard of other people doing those demos on site just with the material that's handy from that site to show how reactive it is in a dispersed powdered condition. Those are sort of three videos I, I usually walk through, or at least two of those three I choose, depending on the audience I have, for starting at the small scale. Then I like to move into the intermediate scale, and what I call sort of the device or equipment scale. Okay, what does this look like when you have an explosion in a dust collector box or in a, in a cyclone or in a piece of equipment? The first step I usually put in here is a creamer dust explosion in a 55-gallon drum. This one's on the Dan Luthner channel on YouTube. And I usually show this video for two reasons. One, it shows the impact of confinement. And two, it shows that not large volumes are needed to create a lot of force from a dust explosion. And so in this video, they systematically load two or three to four ounces of creamer powder into this 55-gallon drum. They do one short video with just dispersing the dust, another with ignition with the no lid on. Then they set the lid on top of the, the drum um, and do ignition. And then they clamp, they C-clamp, or they clamp the lid on top drum and do the same thing. They do it kind of systematically over and over again. The ones with the open top and the one with the vented deflagration, we'll say, where the lid's not bolted on, are quite mild looking. You know, you get a fireball, it looks hot. But once they clamp the lid on, you get a pretty violent explosion. The lid shoots off up to the roof. It's quite loud. The lid is, you know, bent quite bad from the deflagration. It shows that as you add confinement to these open air deflagrations, that you get rupture of the vessel that's containing them. That rupture can be quite violent. And that rupture actually is, the violence of the rupture is proportional to the strength of the vessel. You have a really strong vessel, but it's not strong enough to hold the entire deflagration throughout the combustion phenomenon that's happening. You'll get a, a stronger, stronger rupture. So one, it shows the impact of confinement on the explosion. Two, it shows that not large volumes are needed. This lid, when it comes off, it's going to cause some damage to somebody. If they were standing over top of it, or if it was a screw, or if it was slightly stronger, didn't come off till later in the deflagration event. Explosions in these smaller vessels, 55-gallon vessels, whatever, can seriously injure people that are nearby from impact, from shrapnel, from frags, that sort of thing. So that's sort of step two, moving into the intermediate scale. Then I like to show some larger scale dust explosions. These aren't full site explosions, but these are ones that you know have big, large fireballs. We're starting to see the potential for injury here. You can talk about the potential for injury in these device intermediate scales one, and certainly there was injury in the cinnamon case. These ones show the potential that we're starting to see for combustible dust. So the first of these is the, probably now we'll call infamous video in Abbotsford of the firefighters attacking a fire in a furniture manufacturer. 
and this is actually outside in a silo. I think they're storing sawdust or wood chips or something in the silo. It's posted on Cam Productions' YouTube channel. Again, we'll include links to all these in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 242 for this episode. So this video shows firefighters responding to this fire in the wood shaving silo, spraying their hoses into the bottom of the silo, trying to cool down, trying to get the fire out. And all of a sudden, there's a 40, 50-foot open-air deflagration that occurs. It engulfs, I think, three of the firefighters, knocks one of them back with pretty strong force, maybe 10 feet from the expanding gases from that deflagration. And it's quite a scary-looking incident. Luckily, I don't think any of the firefighters were hurt, but I do like to show this one because we start to do some what-ifs. We start to educate the audience. What if the firefighters weren't wearing full protective gear? What if they had been a worker in overalls? They would have been seriously injured, like very, very badly injured in this case from the force of the explosion and also from, you know, the potential burn injuries involved. What happened if that silo was inside? You can see from the force of that explosion that if it was inside and in an unvented room with no roll-up doors open or something, that would definitely rupture the, or most likely we'll say rupture the building envelope. And that's quite dangerous. You can have, you know, stuff falling down. You can have fires. There's all kinds of bad things happen. You know, what happened if the explosion happened inside the silo, not outside the silo? We would have seen shrapnel. You could see the silo topple over. There's many things that could have happened. Thankfully, nobody's hurt in this firefighter response. Oh, what if the firefighters were on top of a a ladder? I like to do that one as well in this video. What if they were, because that happens quite a bit. The firefighters go up or the workers go up into a heightened position to spray down into the silo. That same deflagration occurs and knocks them down. That's actually a a pretty common injury mechanism when responding to a, a fire in a silo or a piece of equipment. So I'll show that video a lot of time moving into this larger equipment scale. Also use the grain silo collapse video. This was posted on Daily Mail's YouTube channel, I believe. And this has a, a gentleman filming a grain silo collapsing. I think he says in the video that there's 10,000 bushels of grain in the silo. The rivets, the bolts are popping as the silo starts to crumble. The grain starts to spill out and you see this big dust cloud kick up. And a large open air deflagration occur. And the, the, the gentleman in the video says some choice words and has to jump over the hood of his truck. Very kind of cowboy-esque style to get out of the way. I shouldn't laugh. I don't think anybody's injured here, but it's just interesting in a way to see this, this deflagration, this guy jump of the way. Very scary. They were standing quite far back. They had been closer. It could have been very um, dangerous scenario. So that's another large scale kind of device scale explosion I like to show. Those are the three steps I take. I do small scale, intermediate scale, device scale. And then I usually go into sort of a case study. So here I, I usually try to look at what industry am I speaking with? What materials are the handling? And then show some large scale, you know, full building explosions if I can find them. A lot of cases, there's different options we can use here. Um, if you're speaking to a specific company or specific industry and you want to know what options we have, just email me, chris at dustsafetyscience.com. You can always join Dust Safety Academy. Again, there's over 100 free videos in there. You can look through and see which ones you can use. I will put links to a couple of them. I won't specifically describe these videos here because I want to be respectful. These are actually site loss videos. People were injured potentially very badly in these explosions. We have a you know a coal power plant explosion that's pretty recent, grain elevator explosion and grain bin explosion from 2018 onwards over the last couple of years. They'll post in the links in the show notes there. That's the way I usually walk things up from very small scale flash fire hazards through to what it looks like as we get larger and larger and adding confinement and then you know large scale site loss videos. And then if we have time, I'll usually go into US Coast Safety Board videos, maybe take some snippets out of those because they have very nice animations in them. And those we'll talk about in next week's podcast episode. So I'll just close off. And this is one that I don't show all the time as well. 
but I like to sometimes, depending on the audience, demonstrate how bad it can be. Like how big can a dust explosion get? And the biggest ones I know of happen in coal mines because they're confined and you can have an explosion that travels for miles. But those ones are often hard to see because they're underground. So one that's above ground and probably the biggest outside open air deflagration I know of is the 2015 New Taipei water park explosion. I will not include links to these videos um, in the show notes here. You can Google it at Formosa Fun Coast Water Park in 2015. Um, the videos are, are quite frightening, quite gruesome, we'll say. This was a large cornstarch deflagration. They were spraying the crowd in colored cornstarch. It's actually a pretty common thing at concerts and during music videos and during celebrations all around the world, but it's quite dangerous. In this case, the cornstarch settled on the ground. They were blowing more with these giant blowers. I think they had um, some pools that had filled cornstarch and the blowers were blowing the starch up and down, creating this big cloud. Eventually, somewhere they believe, uh, my understanding or my recollection, is that on some of the stage lights, the powder got too hot, ignited, caused a very large open air deflagration. The deflagration lasts about 40 seconds, including the deflagration and burning of all the, the cornstarch on the ground. And in those 40 seconds, uh, 508 people were burned. 199 of them left in critical condition in 40 seconds. Tremendously scary incident, tremendously impactful. That's not the largest death toll count. There's other exposures that are quite a bit larger, but there's no videos of those ones. There are videos of this one where you can see online. Um, not, well, Google it for yourself. I'll leave it to you if you want to try to find that. But that's, a, that's sort of the worst case scenario. Open air, crowded people, lots of people, lots of dust. And you can kind of extrapolate from that, or I guess interpolate from that, where you might sit with the facility that you're dealing with today, how much dust loading they have in their building, the impact of an open air deflagration at a small scale flash fire. I'm going to understand the kind of hazards that we're working with in those different scales involved. So that's it for this week's episode of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This was 10 videos to demonstrate and educate about dust explosion hazards. We walked through these 10 videos talking about moving from a small scale demonstration to sort of an equipment scale, what the impact can be on site workers to a large scale, what's going to happen if you have an explosion on a loose entire facility. And again, there's kind of a couple things here I like to summarize. The reason I choose these videos is they cover a lot of different materials. We had powdered sugar, cinnamon, cornstarch, grain, coal, wood, and others. And I, I like to show that variety of materials so that people understand it's not just one material, but most industrial materials that you're processing, the dust and powders from those materials can be combustible dust. That's one point. Second point is that different scales are of concern. It's not just a large scale dust explosion. We're trying to perfect dust collection and improve housekeeping, keep fugitive dust levels down. That's important, but it's not sufficient to keep a safe site from having permanent injuries and worse to employees. This can certainly happen at the small scale deflagrations, you know, two, three, four foot fireballs. And these can be just as dangerous in terms of impacting a given worker on a given day at a site and then be need to be considered in the hazard analysis and assessment. So this it for this week's episode. You can get all the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 242 for this episode. We'll have links to all the videos that I mentioned, the 10 educational videos that we walk through. Next week in the podcast, we're going to come back and talk more about these full-length featured educational videos by groups like the U.S. Chemical Safety Board, WorkSafe BC, and others that have published these sort of videos that are very good for kind of sit-down classroom exercises for teaching people about combustible dust. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work you're doing out there every day. Keep it up.